0: Hi friends, welcome to Reframing Neurodiversity. I'm your host, Melissa Jackson, and I'm here to tell you it's time to see neurodivergence for what it truly is, a gift that benefits us all. As a former teacher, mom to two neurodivergent kids, and as a neurodivergent person myself, I know it's possible to see your neurowiring in a new way. That's why I'm on a mission to reframe the way we view neurodivergence as a collective and to empower us as neurodivergent adults and parents with the language and tools to advocate for ourselves and our kids. Join me each week as my guests and I share our personal experiences paired with cutting edge research, leaving you feeling seen, validated, and proud of the way your brain works. Ready to get started? Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, friends. Welcome to Reframing Neurodiversity. I am your host, Melissa Jackson, and I am so excited to be speaking to our guest today, Emily Hamblin, who is a former teacher, parent coach to neurodivergent families, and neurodivergent mother of four. Hats off to the last part. <laughs> I have two. I admire you. And I'm just so excited
1: to have you here on the show. Thanks, Emily, for being here. Thank you, Melissa. It's so wonderful to be here and to connect with you again.
0: Yes. So we first met, Emily, you asked me to be on your Raising Emotionally Healthy Family Summit back in, I think it was July. And we had so much fun talking that you invited me back to be on your podcast, Enlightening Motherhood. And then that was so great that I'm like, do you want to be one of my first guests on my podcast? So
1: here we are. Yes. I seriously love every conversation, every interaction we have on our Instagram DMs. and Me too. Really love the work you're doing and so excited for this podcast you have going. I'm sure you're going to help out so many families and individuals with it.
0: Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. And that's part of why I wanted to have you on the show is because I just, I love what you're doing in the world and the compassion and authenticity you bring to it. And we just really connect on so many levels with the different elements of supporting Neurodiversity. So let's dive into it today. I really wanted to talk to you about, I know there's so many things we like to talk about, but today let's talk about emotional regulation and, you know, for many of our listeners and for myself included. It can be challenging as a parent when we aren't given the tools or the tools perhaps weren't modeled for us growing up on how to regulate our emotions and show up for our kids in that way. How do you help families navigate that terrain when we aren't given the tools ourselves? Cuz it can be so hard, right?
1: Mhm. This is this is such an important question that a lot of us I feel like at some point in our parenting journey we need to stop and think do I want to keep going on autopilot? Because that's what we tend to do. We're, We're humans. We're going to go on autopilot. We're going to just run with that subconscious. And there comes a point where we need to ask ourselves, do I want to keep running on autopilot? Or do I want to stop and reconsider if there are things that I want to change in my parenting? And I mean, when we're talking about breaking cycles, there's almost a spectrum of what we could talk about. There might be someone that was in a very abusive home. And so, of course, they know that they don't want to repeat that. There might be someone whose parents were just kind of absent, so they didn't really have a lot of the emotional skills modeled in the home because their parents weren't really around. Or when they were home, they were on a video game or watching TV and just weren't really involved in their child's life. We also have an in-between there of, it probably wouldn't be defined as an, as an abusive household, but it may be an emotionally dysregulated household, which is what I grew up in, where looking back, I'm pretty sure every single family member I had ADHD, only two of them were diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure they all had ADHD. And looking back, it gives me more compassion for all of the intense emotional dysregulation that we had in that home. But to then come into my family, I realized like I'm not parenting the way that I want to. There were some things I had going on that I enjoy my children. I'm so grateful to be their mother. Mm -hmm. But I was just getting dysregulated on the drop of a dime. I didn't understand my own neurodivergence. I didn't understand theirs. I just knew that it wasn't the home environment that I wanted and that if change was going to happen, I had to, I had to choose that change. It wasn't just going to happen on its own.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something that stuck out for me that you just said was like realizing now as an adult, looking back, how many people within your household were undiagnosed ADHD, right? Because I feel like that generation, there just wasn't the awareness, right? People weren't out there getting assessments and there just wasn't the knowledge. And so what we know now about the challenge with emotional regulation and having more sensitive nervous systems, like it makes sense that so many of us grew up in homes that weren't emotionally healthy because if we don't have the tools and we don't really know and we're just reacting to things, it's not going to be pretty, right? Does it give you more compassion now as an adult looking back and understanding where some of that might've been coming from?
1: Oh, absolutely. I know as a child experiencing that, I was pretty bitter and upset. And I also, this kind of layers on the, the, feelings. I was certain I would not yell at my kids when I was a parent, unless it was an emergency, unless, you know, they're running into the street and I need to yell to get them to stop. I was so sure that that was going to be the case. And then I became a parent and that wasn't the case. I was yelling at them because they weren't coming to the table fast enough because they wouldn't stop playing to get their shoes on because they were ignoring me. That was a huge trigger if I felt ignored. And it was really difficult for me to stop and realize Okay, I might not be the same level of emotional dysregulation that I grew up with, but I'm repeating this pattern. I'm repeating that cycle, and I don't want to. And then figuring out, okay, now how do I stop this? And I, I, you know, we we listen to the podcast and we read the books, and a lot of it was just like, oh, just choose happiness, just choose to not be angry. And I would be like, yeah. okay, I'm choosing not to be angry. <laughs> Scream <laughs> like yeah, it just yeah. didn't <laughs> work for me. And looking back, like, okay. My parents, my siblings, everyone was actually doing their best. They just didn't have the tools to do any anything differently than what they did. And understanding for me, okay, I'm doing my best. Mm-hmm. And maybe I don't have the tools yet, but I'm going to figure them out. Mm-hmm. And going through that journey is why I do what I do now. Because totally. I needed to find something that worked for me, for my neurodivergent brain, for my children who I didn't know at the time, but now I know they have autism, they have ADHD, they have... You know, we could probably come, I think combined, there's like 13 different diagnoses in our household now, but um, to understand, okay, we just need a different approach and finding tools to match where we're at with our uniquely wired brains has Mm -hmm. been totally life-changing for our family.
0: Oh, I can imagine. And it seems like it would take like what you said earlier, the stepping away from autopilot as almost... An initial step because when we're on autopilot, those triggers and the things that we're repeating that we swore we'd never do, it's like they just happen because it's that nervous system bodily response, right? That's that trauma stored in our bodies that is not a conscious decision to start yelling, but maybe it's just a reaction because we're triggered and it's what we saw, right? So it's like that stepping back and looking at why am I having these feelings? What's really going on within me and why? Do you have other things you typically share with your families about leaning into being more self-aware and showing up for your kids Mm -hmm. in the ways we want to and not the ways that maybe our body is reacting?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, the biggest step, the the first most crucial step is that we need to be aware of it. And I really, really encourage every client that I ever work with that we're aware with self-compassion, that we're not aware with this guilt and this shame because that wants to hide. Shame wants to hide. Shame does not want us to make progress and it adds to our stress load. It depletes our body budget and it makes it more likely that we're going to be emotionally dysregulated if we're operating on shame and guilt. But if we can come at it with self-compassion, self-understanding, like, yes, I'm not showing up the way that I want. This stinks. I'm going to try to do better. And I love myself and I'm going to understand myself much like, Melissa, what you teach, having that strength-based lens. I have all of these amazing things going for me as a parent. I do have these struggles that I'm working on and I'm doing my best. It makes sense that they're there. And what tools can I find? What strategies? What resources? Who can I connect with to help me with these struggles?
0: Oh my gosh. And I want to hear more about the body budget thing, because I feel like this self-compassion piece is such a critical piece that we can't skip over, but it's so easy to skip over, right? Like I've got the manual, I've got all the things. And then that inner self-critic, that harsh Mm self-critic comes in and it can kind of just level everything. And like you're saying, deplete our body budget. So can you speak a bit more to that?
1: That inner self-critic can be relentless sometimes, can it? Yes.
0: It really, it's really, if personally, that's a a hard one for me, like it's something I'm really trying to become more conscious of, because I think in the past, I didn't realize how much it was running the show, you know, and how much it was impacting my availability to be present and regulated. And so I just think it's such an important piece to like bring to our awareness.
1: Yes. So this idea of the body budget I got from Mona Delahook, I've read all of her books, so I honestly don't know which which one it's in it's probably in brain body parenting but um she coins this phrase from neuroscience just to make her analogy our body has a budget and the things that we do and the thoughts that we entertain and the um, choices that we make the sensory input that we get everything is either adding to it so we we have a gain in our body budget or it's depleting our body budget Mm -hmm. and whenever we're entertaining these thoughts of I'm a horrible mom. Oh, of course I did that wrong. I'm always doing things wrong. Or look, I just yelled at my kids again because I don't have what it takes to not yell at them. Mm -hmm. Or I'm just always going to be emotionally dysregulated. All of these thoughts that I know my interior critic gives to me that likes to tell me that I'm not good enough, that I can't do it, that I'll never be able to do it. When I entertain those, It literally sends signals to our nervous system that something's wrong, which then increases our amount of stress, the cortisol in our bodies. It depletes our body budget. And when our body budget's really low and our stress level is really high, that's when we're more likely to snap at our children.
0: Mm. Yes. And
1: so if we can go in and consciously become aware of that interior critic, do the work to recognize when those thoughts are coming we don't have to believe them. We don't have to entertain them. They might be there. We don't have to give them the limelight mm-hmm. and replace them intentionally with thoughts of self-compassion with thoughts of moving forward. Right? So it's not this idea of, Oh, that was horrible. I screamed at my kids again, Ugh. but rather, Oh, I screamed at my kids again. Yes. That was horrible. And what now? Yeah. Right. We want to keep moving forward. I still love myself because because I'm trying and I'm here and I'm showing up and I'm putting in the effort and I will never be perfect. And that's okay because I'm working on on modeling for my children, what Mm -hmm. imperfect people do when they make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think it really helps also reframe this, you know, we hear self care thrown out so often, like we need to, and, 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 That often translates to like getting a manicure and pedicure, a bubble bath, which are all lovely forms of self care as well. But the real heart of self care, I think, is this like emotional self care, is what I hear you saying. Mm -hmm. It's like the way we speak to ourselves in those moments and what a huge impact that makes. Like, even if we're, you know, taking a bath every night, if all day we're bombarding ourselves with all the things that we're doing wrong and not measuring up and, we're going to be depleted and not be able to show up in the way that we desire. So I just hear like this self-talk is actually a form of self-care. Do you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could talk about self-care for another hour, but um, it does go back to that idea of the body budget too. Yes, it's fine. If you want to go get a pedicure, go for it. I'm not a manicure kind of gal, so I don't really get them often, but I do self-care all day long. I do it when those negative thoughts come up. I do it with self-compassion and I do it when I'm hungry and my kids aren't coming to the table for lunch. Mm -hmm. I will go ahead and eat without them. I don't think I need to serve my children their food first because I know when my body budget's nice and full, Mm -hmm. that I'm going to show up more patient. I'm going to show up happier. I'll still sit with them while they have their meal because I do feel that being together for family meals is important for us. But I don't, I don't think I need to wait for my kids to eat before I eat. Um, I will put on music that I like, even if they're saying, no, I want you to play the Minecraft music. I'll say, I hear you. I know you like the Minecraft music. Sometimes it's your turn to choose the music right now. I really want to listen to the music that I like to listen to. So we're going to listen to my music for a little bit later. It will be your turn again. Yeah. You know, just little things like that all throughout the day. They keep my body budget nice and high and it, it makes it a lot easier to stay calm when my children are dysregulated.
0: I feel like this is really reframing the messages we've received around motherhood and generations before us that it wasn't okay to care for yourself in that way. Like everybody else's needs came first. You know, you would never serve yourself first. You would never take the no. time to give yourself the self care that you need. You would just. Make sure everyone else's needs were met, but then would feel depleted and resentful and your body budget would be so depleted, you maybe were lashing out and yelling and doing these things. So I think it's really this amazing reframe on previous generations saw some of this self care stuff as like being selfish. And it's actually that doing these things for ourselves as parents allows us to show up and hold space in a more compassionate, loving, connected way with our kids, which is actually good parenting. It's really this real flip of the script, mm-hmm. don't you think?
1: Yes, absolutely. And that was just life-changing for me in my parenthood when I realized me taking care of me yeah, is enabling me or empowering me to better take care of my children. And then it becomes hard. Like, I have some clients that are homeschooling and they have multiple mm. kids with multiple needs. And then they're like, I don't have time to like go spend a day at the spa. I'm like, no, we can, we can find really small ways throughout your day. That is still self-care. Yeah.
0: So what kind of things do you suggest to people like that? Like parents who are listening, who are like, I am homeschooling (laughs) and I do have four kids and I'm exhausted. Give me something tangible I can do.
1: Oh, I have a whole list that I share with members in my membership of just really small examples. I don't have it on hand right now, but um, it could be really simple things. A lot of our input that we receive is sensory based. And so I'm very Mm -hmm. much interested in and continually studying sensory processing. So you think of our eight senses. Again, we could have a whole podcast episode on those, right? Next episode. Yeah. But um, we have our eight senses, the typical five that we learn in school, then we have vestibular, proprioception, interoception. And if we think of ways that we feel personally replenished, from those eight senses, we can sprinkle those throughout our day. If we really enjoy the sense of smell, we can have Mm -hmm. an essential oils diffuser going. um, You can light a scented candle. Candles are not safe in my house, not with my Mm -hmm. children. (laughs) So we do essential oils. Or if you enjoy visual things, then, then get a little decoration from the dollar store and put it on your front door. I know that that sounds silly, but sometimes it makes me so happy just to see this new thing on my front door with your sense of touch. I really love soft things, so sometimes I will wear the fuzzy socks or mm-hmm. put on a really soft shirt, I'll buy myself the silky blanket. Um, just little things like that that throughout the whole day can help to continually boost up our body budget, they're very, very helpful.
0: I love this, and it makes me realize intuitively I do a lot of these things and not really realizing it, which I think is a good reminder that our bodies know what we desire, right? Like. I love having a diffuser running or candles lit or like just having the sense in my environment immediately calms me. But I hadn't put words to it till you just said it. I was like, oh, I do that. You know, and I I I love my cozy sweaters and socks and all these things bring me comfort. So I think, yeah, it doesn't have to be elaborate. There's like simple things that we can do to to make ourselves feel a bit more grounded in our spaces. So you talk a lot about emotional intelligence and Can you tell me a bit about why it's so important to talk to our neurodivergent kids about emotional intelligence?
1: Mm, This is such a good question. And something that's really been a game changer for our family is, again, that intentionality and intentionally helping my children with emotional intelligence. So- Emotional intelligence is this idea of being able to understand our emotions, understand the emotions in others, the effects that they have on our body, on our mind, on our actions, and also recognizing the same effects that our emotions might have on others without taking ownership for others' feelings. Oh, yes. So. Yes. It's it's a fine line because I know as a mom, my children can choose to be angry on their own, but I also know when I'm showing up angry It's more likely that they're going to get angry, especially Mm -hmm. for me as a mom, how I handle my anger, right? That was another game changer. I used to think, oh, I shouldn't be getting angry. And then I'd get angry and then I'd explode. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I'm going to get angry. But then what do I do with that anger? Right. right? What are some healthy ways to handle my anger and modeling that for my kids? Like I'm really angry right now. Then they see mom's handling her angry in an appropriate way. That's not hurting anyone. It's not driving a wedge in our family. And then later, that's a tool that's modeled for them. And that's great. Yeah. Um, one of my children the other night, this is a child that has a history of like physical violence when he's upset. Mm-hmm. The other night, I was so proud of him. He was sitting there and he just was about to explode. He was, he was right near exploding. It was bedtime and he needed to get into bed and he wanted to finish his book. And he was about to explode. And he said, I am feeling stressed give me a minute, please. Wow. I could not have been more proud because I don't think he would have just picked that up on his own. And he still, you know, two days later he was exploding and hitting again. So it's, you know, I don't want to say it's all roses here, but, um, like modeling emotional intelligence is huge, but I also feel like a lot of our neurodivergent children, they need us to be even more specific with them they need us to be a bit more explicit where I can sit down with them and say hey what does anger feel like in your body where do you feel your anger depending on the age I'll get silly like do you feel it in your fingernails do you feel it in your kneecap and they're like no well where do you feel it and we all actually feel it differently in our bodies that's the interoceptive sense And I tell them when I'm feeling angry, sometimes I feel little bubbles are coming up my arms and up my legs. And when the bubbles hit my chest, that's when I explode. So I know when I feel those bubbles in my arms and legs, it's time for me to find a tool to use before I explode. And then helping the children develop one of their own tools. What are some ways that you can handle that? And that's what i would worked a lot with that child. When you're feeling angry, when you're about to explode, what can you do? That's when he's like, I am feeling stressed. I didn't even know he knew the word stress, to be honest. So it was my just turned five-year-old. So, um, yeah, and that's amazing. So that's like one piece. We also have kids that if you say when you're feeling angry, what does it feel like they're going to shut off? So Mm. we have to kind of come through a side door with them with stories about a girl that's feeling angry Mm. and this is what she did. And what do you think this girl should do? You know, we come with stories, we come with games. Um, We teach empathy instead of saying, Melissa, you need to be more empathetic because you need to think about other people's feelings to say, hey, let's play this game this month in Emotionally Intelligent Kids. One of the games is the beanbag empathy game where we're going to put beanbags on each other's heads. And when your beanbag falls off, you're not allowed to get your own beanbag. Someone else has to put your beanbag on your head for you. And so of course I put mine on and I make it fall off within three seconds and the kids are running over to pick it up and put it on my head. And then theirs falls off and we're all laughing and giggling together, putting beanbags on each other's heads. And if you don't have beanbags, I mean, use a washcloth, use a stuffed animal, whatever. It's just this idea of making it a game and making it fun. Mm, Yes. And then just incorporating that throughout our family culture. We're constantly talking about stories and games and activities and When we're reading books, bringing up the emotions and the effects that they have on our world and how we can develop them and have really healthy ways to handle those emotions because we we can't avoid them. Right. What are we going to do when they come up?
0: Right. And it's just normalizing. Like emotions are part of the human experience and it's not good or bad, right? And I think the more that you are talking about these things out loud, like you're saying, and very consciously and even um, explicitly, it's... It's really allowing kids to see like, oh, my emotions are okay. I don't have to be ashamed of my emotions. I don't have to hide them and keep them bottled up and then have these big reactions, which is, you know, the dysregulated way of living. It's like, I love how you're just normalizing the different feelings and talking about it also when you guys are calm and regulated, like what do we do with these things and modeling it? I just feel like this approach is so helpful and so empowering for children to respond to these things that come up within them in healthier ways. So I just love all this stuff that you're saying.
1: Thank you. And I know that you teach often having this strength based lens, of course, yeah. with neurodiversity. And so, going a step further with our neurodivergent children, as I talk to them about their ADHD or their autism or um, kids that I work with that have OCD or anxiety. I bring up the strengths-based approach, like, Mm -hmm. okay, so your ADHD is amazing and it has all of these wonderful things to it. And one thing that it has is an ability to feel an emotion very deeply. Yeah. And that's so great. Do you notice that when you and I get excited, we get like way excited, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of our ADHD superpowers. We feel excitement. We feel happiness. We feel it so deeply. Yeah. And that is amazing. Sometimes it can be a little tricky because what happens when we're like a little frustrated over something small, but then we feel like a lot of frustration. Yes. That's one way our bodies are going to to react to frustration. We need to know, even though it's a little thing, we're going to have a big reaction. So what do we want to do to avoid doing something that we'll regret? We don't want to hurt others. We don't want to say things that are mean. We don't want to do things that are hurtful. We need a plan before we get to that point, because when it happens, we're not going to be able to think we need to come up with that plan beforehand.
0: And you think like had our parents had parents having these conversations with them, Mm. we wouldn't have grown up in the environments that we did. And so what I hear you doing is truly breaking these generational cycles that are just passed down and passed down. And when we can show up for our kids in the way that you're describing and really normalize these feelings and provide them with tools and also just understanding of their neurowiring and the strengths and weaknesses, and not in this judgmental way or better or worse, but just that the complexity of the human experience that we all have differences and getting to know those parts of us. And it's beautiful that we're passionate and excited and we have these intense feelings. And there's a responsibility that comes with it. Like, how do we manage it in healthy ways and really modeling that for kids? I just, I think the work you're doing is so powerful and really healing generational trauma is what you're doing.
1: Thank you. And I just, I always want to put this caveat in while we're breaking cycles and healing this trauma, which is amazing. This goes back to that interior critic and the self-compassion. We're not going to get it perfect. Of course, right. And I, I just, I always want to yeah. say, let's make sure we give permission to ourselves and and let our children know. By mm-hmm. the way, I'm not perfect. I'm never mm-hmm. going to be, but I promise you, I will keep working on it. I'm going to keep growing. I call it grow as our children grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to teach my children that growth mindset, and I try to show it and model it myself. Like mm-hmm. we're going to constantly be growing and trying. We're yeah. not going to get it perfect, and hopefully. Hopefully that is one cycle we pass on. Yes. And maybe they'll break some cycles that we were unable to break because we yeah. passed down that really important cycle of a growth mindset.
0: Oh, I love that so much. Because I relate to this. Like I feel like I went into my parenting, like, here are all the things I'm not gonna do. Like I heard you saying at the beginning of this. And and then yeah. when you mess up, which is inevitable in parenthood, or you don't do things perfectly, that harsh self-critic about that I'm not measuring up or not doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing is so damaging to all of it. And then it is passed down to our kids that they need to be perfect. So I just love this embracing the growth mindset of that. Yeah, we're not going to do it perfect, but you know what? We're learning from our mistakes. We're repairing when we make mistakes and we're evolving and growing and we love each other, you know, strengths, weaknesses, challenges, and all, but we're, Consciously trying to move out of these patterns while giving ourselves grace and compassion. I think that is like such a critical piece that I hear you saying, and I so relate to. So, for parents, when we do, you know, inevitably have setbacks, get triggered, do you have any tips when we find ourselves slipping back into old habits that you feel like, oh, this is definitely like my go to?
1: two different thoughts um that are coming I don't know which one to say first yeah Uh, ADHD blessing there right (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) um so one if we're slipping back into old patterns I really suggest to every person that's trying to break cycles that they get a supportive community know if that's Getting coaching from Melissa because you do amazing things. If it's coming and joining one of my memberships, or if it's just finding people, not just like a casual online person, but someone that you can really have a connection with that understands mm. you, that gets what it's like to be a neurodivergent parent and or raise neurodivergent children and to want to break cycles and to do it in this way and to not be perfect. Like find someone that gets all of that so that when you find yourself slipping back into old patterns, you can reach out to them. Yeah. We're not supposed to do this alone we were never supposed to parent alone. That's something that's newer in human culture. And um, we're not supposed to though. Mm -hmm. And so reaching out, like studies show when you are feeling stressed and you reach out that just reaching out reduces your stress level, Wow, which is incredible. So finding someone that gets it, because I know in my early parenting, I was reaching out and people were like, what do you mean? Your son is screaming at you for 45 minutes because you asked him to load the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. That's not acceptable. You just Tell them to stop screaming, or you just right. you take away some privileges. Which I was trying, and it was making it worse. Right? Yep, so they they yeah. were amazing people. They just they didn't get it. Right? right? So finding people that get it, and then reaching out, like slipping back into my own patterns. You know, SOS. Someone throw me a, a lifesaver. Life, <laughs> yeah, life preserver. <laughs> yeah, someone yeah. throw me throw me a line here. Someone help me out. And so. having someone that you can lean on is super important. And then also it's really important to be transparent with our own children. Mm -hmm. Hey, I noticed, and and this, honestly, this was me just a couple of weeks ago. I was slipping back into a pattern of being really grumpy at dinner time because that hour before dinner is when my children are usually the most dysregulated Mm -hmm. and I haven't organized my own life still to have dinner ready before that hour. So I'm trying to get a nutritious meal together and they're fighting or screaming or yelling or who knows what. And at least this night they were, and my toddler's trying to get into everything and I'm hangry by the time dinner's on the table, won't come to the table. And I know that they're hangry too. And that's why they're acting like this and they won't come to the table. And so I ended up going, everybody get to the table right now. You have 10 seconds. Yeah. And do you know what happened for the rest of the night? It what? all went downhill. It oh. all went downhill. My kids came and they were fighting and poking and even my husband who is usually pretty emotionally level, um I've been the dysregulated one in our relationship. Even he was like jumping on board and he was so grumpy and at the end of the night I went to sleep and I just laid in bed and I was like I don't feel like an emotionally healthy family. And then that interior critic mm-hmm. came and it yeah, started yeah. to tell me, you should just close your business. You should just shut down your pocket. Oh. <laughs> you should just like oh no. no yes. I went to that extreme. Yeah. <laughs> and I of course told it, I know you're trying to protect me. Thank you, but no thanks. I'm yes. not going to entertain those thoughts. And then I thought, I just need to, I need to reach out, which I did. I need to practice what I preach. And then I need to repair. So I went to my kids the next day and said, hey. Remember last night when I asked you to come to the dinner table, I was really grumpy. That's not the way I want to parent. I'm really sorry. It wasn't your fault. I, I know it was hard for you to come to the table, but it wasn't your fault that I showed up grumpy. I'm really sorry. And I can't control everything in this family, but as a minimum, I can control how I'm going to help you come to the table. And I'm never going to do that again. No, I may end up slipping and doing it again but I'm sure going to try to not. And yeah. so I came up with lists of ideas, different ways I can get them to the table that don't include being grumpy, even when they're hangry, even when they're in bad moods, even when they're distracted and struggling with transition, how can I show up so that I'm feeling calm? I'm feeling in control. And honestly, I chose to be a little bit goofy. So we're doing, we're doing some really fun ways. They annoy my teenager, which just <laughs> makes me goofier. <laughs> and we all get to the table And mom's not screaming or yelling or being sharp. So, so
0: good. So many great examples and you're just such a model of how to really break these cycles that we struggle with. And so I am just so happy that you're here today and sharing this information that's so needed with parents. How can people get in touch with you in the future? I know you have a membership program starting and You've so graciously offered my audience 50% off their first month, which is amazing with the code Indie Advocate, and... Listeners, you can access this through the link in the show notes. How else can people get involved with what you have to offer?
1: I would love for people to get in touch with me. They can head over to my podcast, Enlightening Motherhood. Your interview just released, so they can come (laughs) listen to you on the show and all of our other episodes. They can also find me at enlighteningmotherhood.com. I have just started a $7 membership, Emotionally Intelligent Kids. It's doing amazing. We have people from all over the world joining. We have people in United States, Canada, Australia, Germany, Um, someone just joined in Egypt, Bulgaria. We have someone in South Africa. We have psychologists and therapists joining. Um, So it's really, really exciting, but it's a membership full of resources to help you teach your child emotional intelligence. It's great for neurodivergent children. Um, We even have some bonus videos for how to talk to your children about neurodiversity about being different. And yeah, there's printable worksheets, stories, games, and all sorts of lessons to understand how to teach your child and how to make this really fun and light so that we don't have to carry the heaviness with it that we so often have associated with emotional work.
0: Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you, Emily. You're a wealth of information and resources and what a gift to have you on the show to share out all of this goodness. So I can't wait till our next conversation. (laughs) I'm sure it'll happen again. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for
1: having me, Melissa.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Remember to subscribe and review so you don't miss a thing. Craving a way to support your child and their big feelings? Head to the show notes to snag my free Co-regulate with your child video series and I'll email you all the details. Can't wait to see you next time.